0: Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And if you want to enjoy the second part of this interview, which you don't want to miss, go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. It's time to learn the truth. And if you have a listen to Sanitas Radio, I highly recommend that you do. My life has been upgraded, and so can yours. And if you want to be a guest on this radio program, have a suggestion, or simply want to write to me, I always love to hear from you. Go to veritasradio.com and click on the contact button. Tonight's special guest wrote a book titled, Hallowed Be Thy Name. Lucifer, Origins, and Revelation. From the back of the book, it reads, Within these pages come the most blasphemous and crucial theological disclosure of the past 2,000 years. Through years of scholarly research, the author unveils the origins of religious mythology and validates Lucifer as our creator, savior, and God, exculpating him of the quote-unquote crimes the Church has levered. She exposes the true mythological origins and identities of Jesus, Lucifer, Satan, God, and Goddess through philology, etymology, symbology, and narrative. For the first time, the complete story of Genesis chapters 2 to 11, on which the entire Old and New Testaments and the Quran rest, is detailed accurately. She shows how Satan is the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and why understanding this is the key to the luciferian pursuit of enlightenment this is the first work to offer a complete definitive mythic basis for luciferianism which at its deepest core is goddess worship her name is priscilla vogelbacher an occult researcher and an expert in the mythologies of mesopotamia and the abrahamic religions focusing on the character and concept of lucifer her website is linked at ours and she joins us directly from Chicago, Illinois. Hello Priscilla and welcome to Veritas. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great, thank you. Well, Priscilla, let me just begin by saying that I want to warn the listeners that the information we'll be discussing tonight may be offensive to some, not because you or I will be using foul language, but because the information may go against their belief system. and. Their paradigm might be shattered, so listen with an open mind, folks. I know you have, I guess, a similar background to mine, being raised a Catholic, going to catechism, communion, the whole nine yards. Share your journey with us that motivated you to write the book.
1: All right, so in 2002, I got Zachariah Sitchin's first book, The Twelfth Planet, and I was really struck by the fact that he presented Mythology, not just as a cosmology, but as a history. And that really opened my mind to that whole possibility. And, um, cause, you know, I was always taught to believe that mythology is just fiction and astrological allegory and metaphors and euphemisms and just filled with hidden meanings that have no surface truth whatsoever. But as it turns out, that's not true. I was always taught to believe, like everybody else, that mythology is fiction, just made up fairy tales, um, allegories, metaphors and euphemisms. Um, but it's not. There are some, but texts are written in such a way that there's a lot crammed into one space and you have to be keen and discern everything, the myths. the myths. The rituals, the rites, the customs, the precepts, the festivals, the um, you know, and then you have to uh, be able to discern the gods from all of this, because uh, all, all of those things that I listed is religion. But mythology is the study of the gods, which obviously is also theology. Um, But mythology is unique because it is the events uh, in the narratives concerning the gods. That's what really interests me. And that's why I say that mythology is my argument here, not religion.
0: Well, let me ask you this about Sakara Sitchin. Yeah. I happened to have conducted his last interview. I found out that after he passed away, I didn't know this, you may know this, that Sitchin's office was located in... Rockefeller Center in New York City. And I know the Rockefellers are behind, among many areas, our indoctrination department, I mean, our education (laughs) system, educational system. So keep Sitchin closed to their vest and disseminate what they want. What's your take on this?
1: Yeah, well, that has a lot to do with what I have discovered, and that is his whole Nibiru hypothesis is not true. There's no reason Nibiru is not as he presented in his book and championed throughout his life. Um, There's only two mentions of the word Nibiru. Uh, Zachariah Sitchin was wrong about quite a lot, but he was mostly wrong about his Nibiru hypothesis. There's actually, when you do the research, and I've done it and presented it in my book, that there's really no evidence to suggest that the gods came from this planet with an elliptical orbit of 3,600 years called Nibiru. The word Nibiru happens only twice in a text, a Babylonian text, called the Enuma Elish, which is the Babylonian epic of creation. And in that text, it occurs twice, like I said. One time, it's a reference to our sun. And another, it's a reference to the planet Jupiter. But nowhere in that text does it speak of any planet outside of our solar system coming in like Sitchin described. So, it's interesting that you, that you, uh, mentioned the Rockefellers, um, backing up this ridiculous theory, um, because, you know, he's in the business of education and medicine, which if anybody does any research in those fields knows that everything is pretty much backwards. And it's it's basically mythic propaganda in that light.
0: And you know, like, you, it's, like you said in the intro. Well, I'm I'm sorry, you were you were finishing your statement. Go ahead.
1: Oh, it just, it gets into a little more. It's, it's also tied in with the concept of hell and why everybody is looking to the stars for the gods. Um, and it has to do with the mythic propaganda that, uh, people believe in regarding Zechariah Sitchin and also Eric von Daniken. Now, I'm not saying Eric, Eric von Daniken is purposely spreading Uh, mythic propaganda, but he's... I don't think he's on the right track. Um, So, let me explain a little bit of history. ancient Jerusalem, um, there was something called the Valley of Hinnom that circled the old city. And the Valley of Hinnom is where we get uh, the word Gehenna. And Gihanna is the Hebrew word that is used for the word hell. Gihanna in the New Testament is translated as hell in the Gospels. So every time you hear or read Jesus talking about hell, talking about Gihanna. Gihanna was this valley of Hinnom, as I said, which there was two valleys. The other one was the valley of Kidron. And in the valley of Hinnom, there was an altar of towpaths. And um, the valley itself was an ever-burning refuse heap. And people threw garbage in there, dead bodies, dead animals. And um, this altar of Chopath was an altar to two gods, the, the uh, Canaanite gods Baal and Moloch. Now, Baal is the head Canaanite deity, He's the Canaanite Yahweh. Moloch is an aspect of Yahweh. And Moloch is interesting because the symbol for Moloch is the owl. Now, getting back to uh, Rockefeller, and he's tied in with the Illuminati. And if anybody does any conspiracy research, they'll know about the Northern California resort. um,
0: Well, you mean Grove.
1: Yeah, Bohemian Grove, where the elites of business and finance and politics gather. And they have this ceremony called the cremation of care, where they all dress up in what look like KKK outfits, hoods and robes. And they stand before a 40-some foot statue of an owl. And that owl is a symbol of Moloch, the same Moloch from And in ancient Jerusalem, on this, people would sacrifice you know various things to the gods, but specifically to Moloch, they sacrificed their children and burned them alive. Now, the cremation of care ceremony that these elites do uh right before this owl is the same thing they put a body on the altar and they burn it now alex jones has a documentary about this and if you watch it you can actually hear a scream i don't know if it's a real person or not but it really makes you wonder because it really is the exact same thing so the fires of hell which is I. Is where this comes from, which is why Jesus speaks of the weeping and gnashing of teeth. And um, it, like I said, it's interesting you mentioned the Rockefellers because they are a part of the Illuminati, and it is the Illuminati. The Bilderberg Group, call them what you want, that do this in Northern California every year.
0: The, the way I see it, Priscilla, whatever they can do to spread fear is going to increase their, their fortune. Oh, yes. Medicine, you spread fear that Nibiru is coming. I remember prior to 2012, for many years, everybody's thinking, could it be Nibiru? Could could it be the Mayan calendar telling us that Nibiru is coming? So in their minds, they're thinking fear creates disease. And the less educated people are, the more indoctrinated they are, the more powerful they become. So obviously, in my opinion, there's a connection there. But like you said in the intro of your book, quote, as children, we muse upon the greatest questions of life. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? Why are we here? Unquote. Well, those are the questions that motivated me to create this program. Why do you think our peers concern, them, concern themselves less with these questions or more with basis pop culture, you know, fads of the day, or as the Romans called it, Panamed Citizens says, bread, bread and circuses?
1: Right. It's a choice, obviously. Nobody's being forced to ignore this information and pay attention to the media and the popular culture. But it's a choice, and it's a lot easier at the end of your workday to sit in front of the TV and have it tell you what to think and what's going on with the world instead of grabbing a book and doing some research for yourself. And it's just easier.
0: Why do people... Uh, and that- why do, people, why do people equate, you were talking about mythology, that word always, always made me wonder, I mean, why do we learn in school about the Greeks and, you know, Zeus and Athena and this and that, yeah. if it's pure fiction, when in fact, the word mythology is completely misunderstood in today's society, mythos, 1270 AD means historic events that were sworn to be accurate and true by priests and kings, it was an affidavit of accuracy in history, so it actually means completely opposite to the value that we have ascribed to it today. When did this come about, Priscilla?
1: Yeah, this was in the 19th century with the dawn of Darwinism, actually. it uh, The scientific community had always kind of despised religion, and it still does to a large extent. And anything religious or mystical at all, it just it doesn't want to consider at all. And, uh, with Darwin and um what's the other guy's
0: name? Which one? I'm sorry, I lost you there.
1: Darwin and Wallace.
0: Oh, Wallace, okay, go ahead.
1: Wallace in the 19th century, when they proposed their theories of evolution, and especially Darwin, um, that gave the scientific community a way out of the religious uh, confines that had been, you know, Forced upon people for centuries through violence, torture, and bloodshed. And there's a good reason for that, too, which we can get into. But it wasn't until the early 19th century that the word mythology was regarded in the sense of an untrue story. Before then, it was taken as a history and was considered true. Um, But like i said darwinism came along and kind of got rid of that and since then by and large people have believed and continue to believe that we're just apes evolved and our prehistory is nothing more fanciful than you know evolution taking us to where we where we got
0: apes evolved even though i've never seen an ape evolving into a human, kind of a halfway, <laughs> and we still yeah. have apes being apes. How come they're not morphing into humans?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we we descended from a common ancestor, as the theory goes, and uh, but nobody knows what this common ancestor is. It's just, you know, magically it's there in the past somewhere, and, you know, it's just a matter of time before the right fossil comes along, right? But I, I haven't seen anything.
0: What's your take on, and I know this is a big part of your book, what's your take on the Genesis Genesis story, which is different than what we were taught?
1: Yeah, um, Genesis, the, I focus on chapters 2 through 11, and that is an extremely condensed and abridged version of much older Mesopotamian myths. Um, like I said, mentioned before, the Anuma Elish is one of them. The Atrahasis, which largely comprises the story of the flood, is one. The Epic of Gilgamesh, which has the oldest flood myth in it, is one of them. And these and some others were used to write the Genesis story. Now, we, we can get into the whole story if you want.
0: Certainly. Sure.
1: Okay. So, let's start from the beginning. Um, why were we created in the first place? Were we actually a product of evolution? Yes and no. Uh, the story starts off with a group of gods called the Agiki. And they were toiling in the mines of the Apsu. And the Apsu is the sweet water to... um Tatiamat's Tiamat's saltwater. It's basically mines underneath the ocean or the seas. Where exactly this was, we don't know. But it certainly was not in Southeast Africa, like Sitchin claimed, because the word Apsu actually means nether sea. It explicitly means waters of the earth not the cosmic waters of outer space. That's where he gets it
0: wrong. So let me just dissect this one by one. Tiamat, for example, we're told that it's a planet between Mars and an Earth, I believe, <laughs> that supposedly yeah. exploded, and this is what is now the asteroid belt. You think that's not true?
1: Well, I mean, there might have been a planet that became the asteroid belt. I'm not discounting that. But what Tiamat is in these myths is not that I, I personally do not see a cosmology that Sitchin saw. Um, I personally think he was heavily influenced by Emanuel Velikovsky's book. Mm, yeah. World's in Collision, because he proposed and this was I think it was published in 1952, which was uh, more than 20 years before.
2: Thank you for listening. Or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at VeritasRadio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at VeritasRadio.com.